Welcome to The Writing Life, the podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Steph McKenna. And I'm James Gill. From the National Centre for Writing here at Dragon Hall in Norwich. For this episode, I spoke to writer and teacher Okachuku Enzelu. Why? To discuss the greatest pillar of creative writing, character. Gil and Okichuku discuss many aspects of character development, including those and his latest novel, Here Again Now. Based in Manchester, Okichuku was the recipient of a Northern Writers Award from the New Writing North in 2015. His debut novel, The Private Joys of Nena Maloney, which is a brilliant book, I have to say, won a Betty Trask Award. It was also shortlisted for our very own Desmond Elliott Prize, among others. In 2021, it was selected for the Kingston University Big Read. His second novel, Here Again Now, of which I read about the first hundred pages before I got to speak to him, was published by Dialogue Books in March 2022. He is a lecturer in creative writing at Lancaster University, so he is perfectly positioned to help us understand how we can write compelling characters. Speaking about learning the craft of creative writing, before we head into this conversation, I will just say that we have a range of fantastic courses and workshops available for beginners and intermediate writers in genres from poetry to screenwriting, non-fiction to crime. Head to the website to find out more. And now, without further delay, we bring you Okachuku and Zelu. Welcome, Okachuku. Yeah, Thank absolutely. you so much for, uh, for coming on. Uh, in preparation for our chat, I read the beginning of uh, Here Again Now, your, your most recent novel, as well as watching you in conversation um, about your writing. You came highly recommended to us as someone to talk to about character. And having done that research, I can now see that that was a fantastic recommendation. <laughs> would it be fair to say that you're obsessed with character? Yeah, <laughs> I think that would be very fair to say. I think for me, you know, every um, writer will p- probably have a different starting point for their um, narratives. And some people start with a setting. Some people start with, you know, um, an exciting incident or whatever it might be. And for me, I, I do I, I do start with characters and specifically the, the dynamics between characters. And for me, there's a really interesting um, sort of colouring in phase where you have that initial idea where you think of a relationship between characters. In fact, I'm doing that now with my third novel. You have this initial idea of a relationship between characters and then you think, okay, what characters, what kind of people might be involved in that relationship and where might that take those people it's a really fun process of filling in the blanks I really like it and so what is you know there, there are obviously many types of story and you've mentioned a few there now I'm a I, I do like my sort of sci-fi and fantasy so a lot of that's very setting based or you know the what if what if we were in space what if uh, um, you know something wiped out um, all humanity etc so I, I enjoy the what ifs but what is the role or roles of characters in a story at the, at the most basic level what is the role of a character in in any story Ooh, that's a good question because I think it it so depends doesn't it on what the story is doing you know you might have what we call I suppose character driven fiction in which the the point of this character is to drive the narrative and often you know in character driven fiction maybe not a lot of stuff happens but that doesn't mean it's not a very engaging story because what we get from the story even if not a lot happens in inverted commas we're still getting engagement with the people in the story who we feel like we're getting to know or circling around in some way and that can be really great but then sometimes you know you know if it's if it's a plot driven story we don't necessarily have that same level of engagement and there are all sorts of hybrids and things in between so yeah that's really interesting I'm not sure I can nail down one thing that a character does but I think perhaps one thing would be we rely on characters to make us care 
about what's going on, no matter how plot-driven the story is. And again, that, that's always going to be in a slightly artificial distinction. Not, I, I would say that if we don't care about the characters, we're not going to care about the plot. Yeah, and I think actually a perfect example of that was I had an idea. I, I wrote like a, I'm a hobby writer, so I'm an, uh, um, an interested non-expert. Um, and I, I, wrote a, I wrote a story and I had an idea for... Um, writing a, a fake non-fiction book about a period in time when basically all the men die and, you know, England sort of descends into um, totalitarian authoritarianism, but it was sort of fake non-fiction. But because it was fake non-fiction, it was basically a 40,000-word news story with no characters. And so to answer the question, what do you get if you don't have characters? The answer is just you don't have anything. It's just a series <laughs> of events, just describing a series of events. And so particularly to your point there is like characters is what makes us care. And that's really what my giant press release <laughs> book idea, it lacked characters. And so no one cared, you know, the couple of people who read or could bear the first 10 pages. Um, and so I thought that was interesting because while I'm someone who thinks, yes, I like my science fiction, the what if, reading about... Um, Chike and Akine, I just, I just kind of fell in love with them both um, as well in, in the pages that I was reading. And it wasn't set in space and they weren't aliens, or at least I haven't finished it, so maybe TBC. Well, so you never I know. Just, you never know. <laughs> um, so, yes, I, I was interested, again, um, if, yeah, maybe to, to expand on that idea of you know, where those, those characters start to grow from um, and that they carry the story on their back, yeah. the plot on their back. And just to, in fact, just to quickly go back to your sort of non-fiction idea, what I find so interesting about non-fiction is that often it does follow characters. You know, if you are um, reading, um, I don't know, even someone's memoirs, you might see people pop up again and again because... I think that's something that the human brain naturally likes to do and to to read and to receive. And I really don't ever want to be prescriptive and say, you know, fiction must always do this or non-fiction must always do that because I don't think that's true. But I think there are maybe some natural tendencies towards character that I find really interesting. And in my novel, in Here Again Now, again, it kind of goes back to that filling out process I was sort of mentioning earlier, you know, that um, in fact, the Here Again Now was... um, loosely based on the book of Ruth from the Old Testament so I found um, for anybody who's not familiar with this story the book of Ruth to really quickly sum it it up is about a woman who um, finds herself with no marital um, no traditional familial ties to her own mother-in-law Naomi and the story is about a woman who about these two women who are technically not family in inverted commas anymore but who form a very important or very close bond that nourishes and saves them both and so I thought what might that be like if I rewrote that with black men involved and two of them queer Um, and yeah then it became this kind of process of what kind of characters would they be what does it mean to form that kind of relationship who might need that relationship who might struggle with it and what do the characters do to the story but also what does the story do to the characters you know what does it where does it take them and where do they find themselves by the end and I just I just love that because it means that you spend ages you know to use your word which is very apt (laughs) obsessing about who these people are and what they want um and it's just a really fascinating part of the process so I'm I'm unfamiliar with the book of uh, of Ruth, um, but I'm interested to know in those characters what the character offers, what the the text offers, and what you were able to take as a character, and what um, was the same and what changed. 
Yeah, so Ruth is a really interesting story for a number of reasons, um, but um, one of which is that it is very short. We don't learn a lot about these people. We um, get, in quite typical biblical fashion, I suppose, not not a lot of internal monologuing, um, not a lot of interiority for these characters. So what we know about them is really through what they say and what they do. And there's not even a huge amount of that. I think it's only four or five books long in total. It's very, very short. So there was a lot of space for me as a writer to play with because you know, who's going to tell me I'm wrong? <laughs> if I'm, you know, even if you wanted to rewrite the book of Ruth, you know, there's a lot of space to play with. Um, and of course, inevitably, it became, diff- it can set my, my novel found itself, I suppose, separating itself from the book of Ruth and it diverges. And, you know, I was telling a very different story in the end. But um, for my sort of question, I suppose the questions I had in mind were, um, yeah, who, what kind of characters what kind of characters form these relationships and what I found so interesting I suppose in Ruth is that we have this my my starting point was that Ruth's first big conversation with Naomi is where she talks about is where she begs not to be sent away Naomi says now is the time traditionally for you to go back to your parents back to your family and Ruth says please don't send me away where you go I will go and your God will be my God I thought I find so fascinating and I wondered if there was an element of need there that isn't expressed elsewhere in the action. We never know why Ruth asks to stay because Ruth's um, sister-in-law, Orpah, she goes, she you know, she does the traditional thing and then we'd never see or hear from her again. Ruth begs to be allowed to stay and we're never told why, but I just thought from that really interesting bit of language that Ruth, maybe there was some reason why Ruth not didn't want to go back, but was desperate to stay with this woman who she'd only just got to know. I just found that absolutely fascinating. And, you know, um, as the story goes on, the two of them, they help each other find food. The story itself becomes a story of the two of them finding husbands and getting married at the end, which is not what my novel about gay black men in London is about. But, um, yeah, I thought. I, and then I started thinking about, you know, how can I transpose that and think about what a black queer man or an, indeed black straight man might want in London in the 21st century, what might they need from one another that they can only get from this very non-traditional relationship for which we have no common language that fits? And that was the journey that I went on. So I think, I mean, there's so much in there to, to unpack. I mean, my, my next question was one that you've kind of answered, at least uh, in part, which is, you know, what is what are the things that keep us interested in, in characters? Um, and then you, you sort of talk about relationships. And I, I'm interested to know whether you think a character can exist by themselves and be interesting or whether really it's about relationships. And that could be to setting or to other people that really um, that keep them interesting. And then to your final point there is what drives it is needs, because a character with no needs it's just a person sitting in a chair for a hundred thousand words um (laughs) so so to tackle the first one what are the things you've mentioned a few there what are the things that and particularly you talk generally but for yourself um what are the things that keep us interested in characters in 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 writing oh this is so interesting i love questions like this because there are so many right answers i used to say as a teacher that you know um because i spent seven about seven years teaching secondary school english and i used to say there were times when i'd say you know there's no wrong right or wrong answer but then towards the end i started saying well there's there's, there are several right answers and i think this is one of those times and 
yeah, one of the things that keep us interested in character, I think there are, one thing that comes to mind is, um, I remember reading an essay by Zadie Smith, um, I think from Changing My Mind a few years ago, a number of years ago now, um, where she wrote about her sort of journey of being a reader. And I, I love Zadie Smith's essays. Well, I love all of her writing, but I love her essays because she is so generous with describing the journey that she's been on as a reader and a learner and she talks about how when she was at university she was all about you know it's all about Bart and this kind of this um time when Bart was so fashionable and that's true when I went to university as well where you kind of you're tearing the text apart and the author doesn't matter and you're just bringing your own self to it and what the author's intentions were do not factor in and now she says in this essay she reads in order to feel less alone as an older you know as a slightly older person with you know perhaps a more mature look on life she she reads in order to feel less alone and what I don't want to do is to reduce this to a question of like likability or relatability because I think compa- the kind of companionship that we want from characters is much deeper and more complex than that that it get, goes so far beyond whether you can relate to somebody or certainly beyond whether they tick certain criteria you know tick certain boxes of of likability because that can be quite narrow um but I think that that kind of companionship is for me personally what keeps me going with character I think of my favorite novels some of my favorite novels when I was a teenager I, I loved and still do love Jane Austen um and one of my favorite novels was Emma which you know is about a protagonist who Jane Austen said herself <laughs> nobody ever is going to like but I love Emma as a protagonist I love as a person I think I would struggle but as, as a character <laughs> as a character I think she's incredibly compelling she's somebody who makes giant mistakes over and over again but who ultimately finds her way to understanding herself, to understanding the people around her and what they need, and the sort of the society in which she lives and what its limitations are. And I think that even if you don't like somebody like that, you can't like somebody like that in real life, I think she's terrific company as a character, because in some way, we all make giant mistakes. We've all been on that journey, hopefully, however far along we might be. We might, we've all been on that journey of understanding ourselves more and of um, readiness for the kind of happiness that she finds in the end of the novel. And I think I apply that to my characters. You know, when I was writing Here Again Now, a novel about three black men in London, two of them gay, one an alcoholic in his 60s, I was not writing this with the expectation that everybody who you know, that my, that, you know, every reader who reads novels in this country is going to pick it up and be like, oh, they're like me in the, in any direct and obvious sense. But I think I was very much betting on and relying on that kind of open-minded need for companionship, which I think a lot of pro- people probably do bring to, to fiction, well, which I do anyway. And that's, it's interesting, again, that the next, I was going to sort of say that when, you know, kids' books, maybe, and I'm generalising possibly, but as you have this very, you know, it's binary, you've got goodies and baddies. And we, we load onto those people what goodie and baddie means. And then as we sort of, you know, literature changes, and, and actually it's a spectrum in between, but it's also, it's, it's web-like. And we have, there's such a sort of a complexity of character now. I think there aren't, very rare you see an archetypal baddie who's just evil like a sort of a devil-like evil it's well they had a you know bad upbringing or you know it's because they've been treated poorly or um whatever it might be is that a, a useful way do you think to look at character and and how can we ensure that we have characters that elicit a like a, a rich 
set of emotions, as you say, not just loving, but confused. Is that Chibuike, the dad? Chibuike, yeah, yeah. Chibuike, yeah. yeah. I could see that, you know, from your description, that's going to be a toughie. He's a father figure, but possibly with demons and or, or poor behaviours. So that it's not someone that you read a book just to have a set of better friends than the ones you have. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's just to stimulate emotional responses, whether good or bad. Yeah, I think that is absolutely true. I remember talking to somebody years ago who um, wouldn't describe himself as like a literary person or anything like that. I think he was, in fact, he was a doctor. But he said, you know, you read in order to feel something. And that's always stayed with me. I think that's really true. And I think that there are all sorts of ways that characters can make you do that. I think characters can make you feel something by, um, you know, disappointing you sometimes or by... frustrating you um you know i think if i think about a character like queenie from candice carty williams novel um she spends a lot of time being very unhappy and in kind of very difficult situations that are messy and complicated and one of the things that kept me reading that novel was because you know you want this person to be happy and you want them to be safe and she gets herself or she finds herself in these very tricky difficult um situations and i think as frustrating as that can be as when you want the best for a character as a person, when you think about them as a character, that is also what keeps you reading because you're, you're, you're hanging on for that moment of change and transformation and you want to know what that looks like. And I think as people, sometimes we do... My feeling is sometimes we want a demonstration of what, it, of what change can look like for people. I think, you know, certainly again with my novel, which is about... Um, development of you know the I suppose of the of relationships and of personalities I I felt a kind of a responsibility I think to demonstrate what certain things might look like under certain circumstances you know there's not a lot of fiction out there about um black British gay men there's not a lot of fiction about the kind of relationships that I'm writing about and so I I wanted to I, I well I had to write that with an awareness in mind of the fact that these relationships and these people do exist in real life. You know, there are black queer men who have been neglected and mistreated and isolated. And I wanted to show, I felt I needed to show what that might look like, what it might look like if things changed for the better and what those journeys might look like. So again, it's not a case of kind of um, PR and making it look like everything is simple and nice and relatable whatever that means um and actually letting go of that was a really freeing thing for me realizing you know remembering and bearing in mind that my characters didn't have to fly the flag for anybody in the, in any straightforward sense um it meant that i could i had room to let them make mistakes and do and let each other down and do things that didn't necessarily make sense and that was one of the best parts for me actually of that writing process um and something which i hope makes people feel more tied to the characters they're not saints they are experiencing difficult things but they're not perfect victims and I think that we've I hope yeah I think that we have as a society so at least sort of evolved to the point where we can look at somebody who's experiencing victimization or suffering and empathize with them without necessarily needing that person to look or act a certain way that makes them seem sympathetic in any straightforward way. Absolutely. I've literally just written down here, just in front of his note, the universality of certain human emotions and where they come from. And what springs to mind, because music is often my metaphor, but is whether it's the protest songs of the 60s, whether it's punk or hip-hop, uh, you know, different groups 
can relate to whatever is underlying that. So, um, you know, I, again, reading um, Akine's character from um, Here Again Now, who's, I mean, I've just, my little notes are here, is he's sort of kind of anxious, a little maybe insecure, he hates confrontation and won't say I love you. Now, uh, I'm not, you know, that, uh, that identity is not mine, but I can feel what that's like or to have been out with someone who's like that. And so there's a universality mm-hmm. underneath it because we're all just human beings um, with a you know, similar set of... Um, yeah, similar psychology underneath it all. Um, and then to your point, I want to ask you about journey. And I think journey, it seems, is a... Um, again, I wrote a, a, a hobby novel and just neither of the characters just changed in any way. <laughs> it was just A to A. <laughs> um, they're both exactly the same by the end of it. So I think to your point about journey and changing over time, can I ask you how you in, ensure, if, it's, you know, if, we, if that needs to happen... How do you ensure that those characters go on a journey, whether it's of self-realization or realization about their world or just even a single thing that they learn? How do, how do we sort of thread that into our characters? Mm. Yeah, for me, it comes back to how I start a story because I, I always start with the dynamic between characters. So with my first novel, I knew I wanted it to be about a single mother and a teenage child. I then sort of narrowed that down to sort of um, a daughter and you know she was half Nigerian and the specific the specifics of that came in later and the more I knew about them or the more I decided about them I suppose depending on how you think about it um the more I was realizing that there's a kind of an instability in this relationship not in the sense that it might necessarily crumble or, or, or fall apart but that it was not going to be static there are things are going to change in the first novel it was about you know, Nena, the teenager, getting older and experiencing life and maybe moving away, she goes to university and that, you know, that's a kind of instability in that it means that the relationship is dynamic. Things have to change in order for that relationship to just keep moving through time, never mind to to remain um, positive and nurturing. And with my second novel, I kind of realise a similar thing in that, you know, I'm writing about three black men among whom there is a lot of love, but among whom there is a lot of... um, misunderstanding or there have been mistakes and there's uh, there are deep needs not all of which are being met and that produces again a kind of an instability which leaves the relationship somewhere to go things are not going things are far from perfect at the start of the novel and they're certainly not going to stay perfect as the novel goes on and I think that is a quite a helpful way of thinking about it in that you know it doesn't necessarily mean that things have to be on the verge of falling apart but there has to be some sort of instability is the word I would use that gives you somewhere to go so that you know things aren't just going to stay the same I think it's Janet Burroway who says something and I'm paraphrasing who says something like um happy lives don't make good fiction you know the straightforward in this in the sense that straightforward you know if everything is straightforward and happy and safe and stable all the time there's not a lot of space for the story to to go because you know conflict and instability and worry and the possibility of change these are things that are really important to to, to fiction a lot of the time so you, for me I think because I start with a relationship because of the nature of human relationships instability is often just a built-in factor of it and you find it there anyway it's I mean you use the word conflict there and we recently had um, uh, the the crime writer Julia Crouch on who said basically conflict the moment you get two characters and you put them in conflict and drama will ensue and you will um, and if you don't have that which is again the reason why my my first book was just a pit you know two people sitting in a forest for um, 70,000 words um, having a chin wag and um, so it's Julia Crouch was saying conflict you you need that and I and I think 
mapping that to what I've read of um, here again now is it doesn't have to be two people f- literally fighting, but I can yeah. feel the conflict um, between the well, to your point, the needs Akine um, and, and Achike kind of have the slightly different needs, and, and particularly Akine's need. Um, I hope I'm not spoiling anything um, to say that um, Achike has this very sort of successful burgeoning film career and so is away a lot and so Akine's needs even though he needs this person is kind of in conflict um with the Chike's what's going on in his life so is that something that you're keenly aware of when you're writing that you feel those things oh here we go the dad's drinking again or whatever it might be <laughs> do, do you sort of feel those when you're writing yeah I think um conflict is such a huge and fruitful thing isn't it it's it's funny as a writer you kind of almost become the opposite of a nice person where you just kind of think hmm suffering that sounds quite interesting Um, whereas (laughs) as as a person you think oh no suffering let's alleviate that as a writer you think right let's go where can this take me Um, and yeah I think that's true and the the fascinating thing about conflict is it can mean anything Um, you know I wish I could remember where I read this but there was um, there's someone very wise who wrote that conflicts can mean conflict between people it can mean within the self um in my case it's definitely means those two things but it also i'm 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 thinking about conflict um between the individual and society and ways in which um actually conflict can become or can evolve to a place where it's much more collaborative so you know what can it what might it look like if people who are or might have been at loggerheads find a way to work with one another what might it mean if a society which has been working through individuals to enforce oppression to enact oppression what might it look like when those individuals refuse to become agents of that oppression and change themselves and life for the better what you you know so i think conflict is so various and i guess that means that the ways out of it are also equally various if not more so yeah yeah it's it's interesting as well when you're you're talking about um those uh, what makes a character compelling and whether mm. it's a sense of you're rooting for them and you have an affinity for them or they um they're just interesting to you or that you're fascinated with how how uh, flawed they are um, or cruel or rude or, or whatever it might be and oddly I had a list I just sort of thought because my memory's shocking so I had to make just a bunch of notes about char- notable characters from books that I sort of read and actually one mm. to that point that goes against it which is interesting is the Patrick Bateman character from American Psycho which admittedly I read probably 10 years ago and I really only got about halfway through before I kind of thought I get it it's just sort of a list of brutal things to do to people and it didn't it didn't compel me right the way through because I wasn't really rooting for him. He'd stopped being interesting um, to me. I mean, you know, of course I'm not saying it's a bad book. They made it into a movie. What do I know? But it's interesting that rather than having this kind of promise that's set up at the beginning, um, you know, I'm certainly, of course, rooting for a keen energy cater, you know, um, become one and, and so on. That's um, And I suspect that if I if I read all, I'm not going to get that from your, your expression there. But um, I'm okay. saying nothing. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I just sort of was looking for, trying to think of characters who fall outside of those characters who we're rooting for and who we relate to, or at least, yeah, are rooting for, who we need in the mix. And, and for the sake of brevity, they're, they're baddies. They are the thing that stand in the way. They're the obstacle characters. Do you feel that they are, um, 
I suspect maybe in your writing quite sort of subtle that they're not you know Darth Vader like characters that sort of just <laughs> arrive um, to mess everything up and stop those um, our, our heroes getting what they want. Um, but and sorry, here comes the question: Is do you have um, any particular sort of notable things characters you can think of that have um, particularly made you think? I just want to know what happens to this person and it better be the good thing or I just want to be alongside this awful person because it's it's interesting rather than relatable. Mm. Yeah, this is a really good question and I'm, you know, I'm thinking of somebody like um, Okonkwo from Things Fall Apart or indeed from the sequel, No Longer a Tease. Um, I think um, Chinyo Otobe had a real gift for that. You know, he can write these really difficult characters who make life difficult for themselves and the people around them. And yet, you really want them to succeed, both in terms of what success looks like for them and for you. You know, Okonkwo, I don't want to spoil No Longer a Tease for anybody who hasn't read it, but this is a man who is um, an idealist and who is struggling in a world which is far from ideal. And he makes some bad choices and those bad choices kind of pile up and you're willing him to find his way but you don't always know what that looks like and I think perhaps one of the the thrilling things about that novel is that you you know that you're on a journey with him you don't really know the world however well you might know Nigeria in the 20th century you don't know the world is so complex and tricky that I think reading that novel most people who read it will be just as lost as a conquo is in a way and even if we can see he's making mistakes i don't think that there's a simple answer to the problems that he's in and so you find yourself kind of on a journey with him like listen let's just roll those dice together let's figure out <laughs> what a solution might look like for you or for me if i were to be in that situation i think junior chibi is he's very good at that he's um he, I've always wanted to um, emulate that kind of humanity that he has when he comes to people's problems and flaws. Um, I'm going to, I think it's a conversation you had with your friend um, Andrew on a, a podcast that I, that I watched recently. And you, you were talking about uh, the editing, sort of you, you do your first draft, maybe have a bit of a second draft. And then for particular aspects, getting forensic. And I just, I love that because I'm really interested in craft. So I love that, that phrase, getting forensic with, with aspects of it. Tell me, when, you, when you've done a first draft and you're reviewing those characters, are there things that you feel as you're going through uh, that you need to amp up, dial down, make more complex or, or change in some way? What are the kinds of things that in the editing and redrafting process have you felt about your characters that you had to do something to them to make them successful characters? Mm, yeah, I think the, foren- the word forensic is really key there because... Um... The, some of the best advice I've had in writing is that you have to be not just ruthless, but yeah, forensic. You can't just kind of, it can't just be, no edits, just vibes, which I think is always the instinct when you sit down and sort of chain and sit down to chain something that you already feel really passionate about. You have to be, well, what I say to my students is that you have to be gentle with yourself and ruthless with your work, which is because you're, you are human and your work is not. <laughs> um, and that means that, yeah, it, when it comes to, editing I suppose it's different for everybody and different for every story for me and certainly with here again now what I wanted to do and this I was going on I went on a real journey with this book where you know um even within the first draft 
the first complete draft, there were maybe six or seven different types of ways of telling the story. I was experimenting with chronology in ways which would mean that the book didn't would not make sense if you read the first draft from beginning to end it would feel like it would feel like several different books and I was experimenting with tone and with the cast of characters some of whom <laughs> appeared in the early chapters of the first draft and were never seen again and um or vice versa and you know the other way around um so when I was editing I guess the most obvious thing is I was editing for a consistency I wanted it to feel like one one not even one idea I suppose but one project driven by ideas which get along with each other um I was editing to make sure that there weren't extraneous characters um there was a character who god it was such a different first draft my goodness um the the characters there was a character who came in at the, at the very end of the novel in the very first draft and I loved that character. It was really painful for me to get rid of her, rid of her. But um, I had to, I had to, because the way that she'd come into the character, the way that she'd come into the story and um, the role that she played, my agent read it and she said, I love this character, but it feels like she doesn't really belong here in the way that she's come in and the time that she's come in. And I had to think about it very carefully. Can I figure out a way to bring this person in in a more substantial way earlier on so that it doesn't feel so abrupt? And I couldn't. And I thought, I'll just have to save that person for another story because I really like her. Um, but and, and you sort of, you know, maybe these are one. These are just some lies you tell yourself as a writer. I may never I may never use that character again, but she's somewhere on my um, she's somewhere on my Dropbox and I will figure <laughs> out a way if I can um, to get her into the story. But I think, um, yeah, I was definitely editing for that. I was editing for prose style as well. Um, that was something that was really important to me with this novel because... I was very conscious that I was writing into a space where there weren't a lot of, there weren't a lot of models, close models of novels about black British queerness in the way that I was writing about it, certainly, that could sort of demonstrate that this is a thing that is worthy to be written about. So I wanted the prose style to demonstrate how rich and complex this subject matter is and how worthy it is. So I was thinking about how I and that again like I mentioned earlier I was thinking about tone and so as I realized just the the level of I guess seriousness that I wanted the novel to to offer that meant thinking about register and diction and rhythm and these little things that make up what we call pro style and so I had to make sure that that felt unified without ever feeling to me anyway static and that meant thinking about okay you can write an opening in this way but how does that pro style adapt itself when you're thinking about an argument between two people or a meditation that one person has when he's by himself on the tube or an ending to a novel that's taken these characters on a journey and that was it was a really interesting part of the journey for me it meant I was reading poetry as well as prose and thinking about how both of those could contribute to my style and just trying to pick the best out of everything I'd read and thought about that made sense for this narrative. It's, it's really interesting you, you said the word consistency, making sure that these that the characters are consistent. A bit that I am I'm really interested in and will find really challenging is making people believably inconsistent in the way that human beings are like that. I spent the first part of my career interviewing bands and one day you get them and they're being an idiot and the next day they're being lovely and that's just human beings but if you capture them in that moment they're just a two-dimensional person and so I'm, I'm it must be a real challenge to have people or sorry to write people to create characters who are 
believably inconsistent and don't just feel like they they just don't work as a character that must be a real a real challenge yeah i think it is and i and the, i th- when i think thinking about it now i think i guess there are two things i would say to that the first of which is that motivation is really complex but also really simple in that the same sometimes if you know if you have a person who's done something great one day and something much more questionable the next sometimes the motivation for those two things might be one and the same thing but just feeding itself through that person in different ways and that also i think what makes us what makes characters believable sometimes is what the story indicates to you you should expect from that character so because i was writing a novel about characters who are I think it's immediately clear for the first couple of chapters that these characters are messy and complicated and really deeply flawed. And I'm writing a novel which is not plot-driven in the way that you might expect perhaps characters whose motivations are much more straightforward to drive. This, I think, that that was important, I think, in the, in terms of not luring the reader into a sense of a false sense of security in that sense you know nobody who reads I, I don't think in anybody who reads my novel in the first couple of chapters is going to expect it to be a simple straightforward story you know that you're dealing with messy people and so once you've set that up and allowed your reader into that space I suppose on those conditions it gives you a lot of freedom I think to to let your characters mess up and do things which at first glance might seem out of character I think it's a kind of, I wanted to write the kind of story that encourages you to be open-minded about what it means to be in and out of character. Mm. I um, so I'm currently reading, I've never read any Carlos Rizafon before, but my other half um, recommended it. So I'm currently reading The Shadow of the Wind. And in it, the, um, the, the story is that there is this sort of mysterious character, um, this novelist who they, no one knows about. And so the, the, the hero goes on the journey of finding out who this person is. So each kind of chapter, each scene is peeling back another little piece of the onion layer. And it got me thinking as I was reading the, the beginning of Here Again Now is that even if that character, your characters are not supposed to be mysterious, is that actually you're still peeling back the layers and is that something that you're you're mindful of when you're writing is to give away enough to make me want to read about these these people but at the same time not give you everything all in one go keep them sort of interesting um, but not necessarily in a you know an enigmatic mysterious way yeah I think that one of the things that teaching and writing have in common is that how you do it is a big part of what it is that you're doing you know if you want to teach a child um, I don't know, if you want to teach a child the plot of a Shakespeare play, there are a number of ways that you can do that. But if you do that, you can do that through getting them to read a synopsis and then fill out a, fill out a sheet where they fill in the blanks. Or you can do it through drama and have a discussion. And, the, and how, you, how you teach something is a big part of what it is that you're teaching. And I think the same thing is true of narrative. How you choose to do it is a big part of what it is that you're doing. So when I wrote here again now I, I had you know I could have told you everything about Akene and Achika and Chibike straight away but the how that gets revealed is a big part of the story itself and so for the without giving too much away we we do find out things about all three of them as the story goes on that hopefully change the way we see them but also the manner in which that is revealed I wanted that to reflect the fact that they are all learning about each other and about themselves. And in a sense, any feelings that the, the, the characters might have when they learn those things about one another, about themselves, are, are shared by the reader and that we are on the journey with people who are 
getting to understand themselves more. And once they do, they realise that their options in life change with that understanding. Mm. You mentioned earlier so about supporting characters. And I, um, in what I read of here again now, I met Julian, the uh, the agent, and who I, I, I don't know, but it seems a, a part of the supporting cast, but got a very keen sense of what he's like. I'm, I'm interested on your view about the supporting cast and what their role is and how to how to keep them at the level, the volume level, if you like, so they're not overshadowing the key players, but that they have their role of reflecting something about our key characters that is important. Or, or are they MacGuffins? Are they driving the plot forward? So talk to us a little bit about your how you were um, sort of approach those supporting characters, like the person you just said that you removed. It was extraneous, and um, whereas there might be other times where you need to put someone in. Yeah, so um, E.M. Forster writes about round characters and flat characters, and he talks about how, you know, the rounder characters, I guess we would say that they're more nuanced, they're more complex, they're, they're, they're richer, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you spend every word of every page telling us about them, but that our access to them as readers allows us to understand them in more depth and detail perhaps than a flatter character might be who we don't necessarily get those kind of nuances and um you know light and shade in the same amount in the same level of detail that we might for a a rounder character and so the rounder characters of course tend to be the more central ones but the flatter ones tend to be perhaps the supporting characters and i think there's all sorts of stuff in between but i think it really what it means the decisions that i had to make were to do with the, the contract, I suppose, you have with the reader. If you, there are no rules, I think, in in fiction. I think it's all about what options you have available to you and what you choose to do with them in relation to the readership that you are writing towards. Um, but I think that there's a kind of expectation that a reader will have if you write a very round, filled out character. You know, we're we're expecting to see more of them. We're expecting the story to follow them. Whereas if we're writing a character like Julian, who is you know, a mu- you know, I don't tell you as much about him. He is not written about in as much detail. That teaches you to expect. That teaches the reader to expect that maybe they are going to be play a more minor role. What's interesting is how you play with those expectations about what a major and minor role looks like and who gets it in the novel. Um, and again, I don't want to spoil anything, so I can't really say too much more. But um, the the kind of the I, I guess one thing I had to do when I was writing and editing that novel was build in what I knew about how the novel was going to end when I was writing the beginning and sort of, I guess, setting up that contract with the reader about who you're going to get to know and, and what you're going to get to know about them. It's, it's interesting as well, Eve, the, the round and the flat characters, is it sort of occurred to me that uh, I like H.G. Wells, the early sort of sci-fi, and even um, what I read, Jekyll and Hyde, recently very short book. But it's it's interesting, it seems to me, that over 120 years of Freud and psychotherapy and psychology and neuroscience, we, at the dinner table, have so much more understanding of human nature and mental health and all these sorts of things, is that we're so much more demanding of complex, interesting characters that um, that there's do you feel there's an expectation of that that it would be hard to write a um, sort of here's the hero and here's the villain you know it's just not it's not interesting enough for us anymore Um, and that that for a hundred years we've been on that journey that we need to have sort of complex rich interesting characters because our readers can understand it now they have the vocabulary of um, introverts and extroverts and you know all of the infinite things that lie in between 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I hope I'm not being too simplistic when I say that it's probably a lot down to modernism and, and the horrors of the 20th century that, you know, after we've seen people turn on, modern, turn on one another in huge ways, after we've looked at um, whole nations commit atrocities and, um, you know, mechanised war, and after we've looked at, after some people have looked at colonialism and realised actually that wasn't such a good thing after all, I think it's very difficult for us to have an appetite for to have a consistent appetite for i would say um characters who don't offer that that nuance in whatever degree um but then but then really when have we ever you know i think about odysseus who even by the standards of his time was not a saint and yet he is somebody who is rooted for and followed and loved as a character even if as a person he might not have had a whole lot of very close friends um he is rooted for as a character and he drives this really compelling narrative i don't know yeah i don't know that's a really interesting question i'm sure i cannot think of the 20th century you know and i'm not a historian but from what i know of it i cannot think of it as having anything but a profound impact on the way we think of people and therefore on the way we think of stories but also i think there is something older than that in the way that we write character which demands complexity it's, well let me I'm not um, that au fait I've read a couple of um, Bronte and Austin books but you said that you're a fan is reflect then on that it may be that I'm wrong that 150 years ago actually people were addressing those those sort of rich conflicted characters um, it may well be that they didn't have the scientific vocabulary to describe that but that those those characters are rich in that way I mean is do you, do you feel that from the, the the Brocklehursts and the Emmas and the um, do you think that's going on then? Yeah, I, I do. In fact, I and it, may, it reminds me of something that um, I once heard in in a lecture years ago, which is that actually of Shakespeare, which is that he was a genius, but he wasn't always a genius. He became a genius through the body of his work, which I think is true of probably most geniuses. They write and they learn as they're writing and they develop and they grow and I think that's probably true you know again I think of something like Persuasion by Jane Austen as a really brilliant book in a, num- um, in a number of ways one of which is what we're talking about now that you have characters who Anne Elliot who is the protagonist of Persuasion she's somebody who has passed upon an opportunity for love at a young age and now finds herself at the ghastly age of 27 (laughs) in the company of the man who she originally turned down and I think that what is interesting about that novel is that it's a novel about a choice that she made however pressured that choice might have been it's a novel about a choice that she made and her having to live with that choice and what that means for her and and the life that she might live and I think what is fascinating about that is that it's a novel about that examines the consequences of choices in a way that's actually very patient and generous and compassionate but completely clear-eyed about what life means if you make a choice that takes you in a different direction from what you might have had it's, it's interesting yes i'm thinking now that um we talk about conflict and i think is it the the opening line of pride and prejudice which is i'm paraphrasing is it is the the 
uh, pursuit of every young woman to find a man with the fortune or whatever it might be is so how can you not how can you not quote that line sorry from, uh, from memory <laughs> my goodness <laughs> no don't worry i'm just really sorry um yeah no i know exactly what you mean yeah is so you have the, the human conflict is with rules yeah so yeah. actually what we're talking about is is human nature is what it is and the heart wants what the heart wants but if society has its rules then that's where the conflict um, comes in and I guess what's what those characters are sort of reflecting on in, in their journeys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the time in Austin, I do read other books than Jane Austen, but a lot of the time in Austin, you do find characters who are coming up against what, you know, because she's writing about women and often not about rich, influential women. She, you're, you're writing about characters who are coming up against what society will or won't let them do or society will or won't make them do um and i think then within that often it's about you know what are you what are your resources what are your options and what can you do with those and what might life look like for you if you make the wrong choice which is something that austin does really well i find that really interesting i uh, i'm gonna wrap with uh, a quote that i'm quoting from you back to you Uh-oh. that i wrote that this is from a conversation <laughs> that you were having i just thought that is absolute gold so i had to pause and write it down i then wrote a question that i'm not going to be able to just remember <laughs> to write it down so here it comes you said uh, and the, the the context of this is obviously identity is a very big part of the sort of public conversation at the moment um, but it also seems to be very very useful because it sort of overlaps so hugely with character and what characters are and you said identity is a set of things people tell you about yourself and a set of things you tell yourself about yourself and so Mike the question is is that what we kind of need to achieve when writing fictional characters is someone who's an entity in the novel but that through the writer we are then the reader is then the observer of that person and you're getting to the Roland Barthes again here is is that is a character in a book the combination of themselves as this entity but also as the writer presenting and, and reflecting on that so I just I found your your quote fascinating and instructive oh thank you that's such an and it's such an interesting question what is it that constitutes a character I mean I think at heart I'm one of those writers who thinks there is nothing in a character except what the author tells you and then a reader can take from that what what they take from that and every reader is going to hear that differently and interpret it in a different way and you'll pick up on some things and and uh, more and others less and so I guess it's about what you can control and what you can't because you can't control who the reader is and therefore the lens through which they see the person that you're um, that you're reading and I wouldn't be surprised if you put your if you put um, here again now into the hands of a dozen very different people you'd get very different reads literally and figuratively on on your characters (laughs) yeah absolutely and I've already had those responses and you know I've had some of the loveliest things I've had are from people black queer people who or black people who aren't queer who say that the narrative helps them to understand themselves or their queer family or friends better or who make the or their relationships with their family in different ways but also i've had wonderful responses from people who talk about the way that the novel represents how we talk about um, african mythology and how we talk about you know addiction or how we talk about being a child who was born in you know to be you know, to be born in this country to, to an immigrant or to immigrant parents and I, I love that and I'm sure that there are people who, <laughs> who read it in different ways and have less positive things to offer um, in response but I, I, I think there is something really profound about the freedom of response that we give readers when we create things. 
If you have questions or want to get in touch, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Writers' Centre, and you'll find us on Facebook by searching National Centre for Writing. Don't forget to sign up to our weekly newsletter by visiting nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk and clicking the orange drop-down box on the homepage. As a UK-registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. You can make a donation over on the website today by hitting the Support Us button in the top nav. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us because it helps other writers to find the podcast. Thanks again, keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode.